What's up, everybody? It's Chris, and it's We Are Live, a special one-on-one with Frankie Campbelletta. You can check out the Lost Boys of Hannibal podcast. He produces that. He's on it. He's a host, and he's working on several different projects with Shift Films. And we're very excited to have him on board for a chat today. What's up, Frankie? How you holding up, man? How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Doing well. Can't complain. Uh, you've got a lot going on. So number one in my head, I'm hoping like, I'm like, did I say all that right? Where is he there? Is he there? I know you've got a lot going on. Uh, let's start with Shift. I think that's awesome. You've got, uh, we'll call it a production company um, yeah. f- that you're working on right here in St. Louis. There's a lot of different projects. Can you start off, I mean, brag on yourself a little bit. What did it take to, I guess, how long has Shift been around and then what's your, uh, what's your, I guess, modus operandi, right? Getting that thing yeah. going and your favorite projects right now. Yeah, well, it started about five years ago. And, you know, we look at we look at film companies like A24, who we aspire to be. And a lot of times people say you really shouldn't have people you look up to. You should do your own thing. And this whole driven course of, like, self-entrepreneurship. Well, entrepreneurship basically means that you're jobless looking for money. So... <laughs> When, when you look at it from that standpoint, it's very different. Uh, when Shift started initially, the first goal we had was to fund all our films, so we had total control. And then the second real baseline was to create a name that evoked an emotion in every film. And that, of course, is the shift. It's when the film goes from a light to a dark, from a dark to a light, from comedic to horror. There's always a shift in every one of our films. And we get that from our muscle car backgrounds. We own, we actually were in the process before this epidemic, pandemic started. Um, we, we, uh, we're in the process of creating Shift Fleet, which is a bunch of muscle cars used for films. So if somebody wants an El Camino, awesome. somebody wants a Chevelle. So we were in the process of doing that while this whole thing went down. So we were able to collect about four or five different cars that we're going to be using in movies and having people locally in St. Louis say, hey, Frankie, I'm trying to do this film from the 60s. It's a five-minute film. Can I borrow your Chevelle? Can I look at the C10? And Shift's answer is, oh, we're always going to help local. And whether we charge or not, it, it doesn't matter. It's about putting out quality products. So we wanted to be a production company that uh, not only had control, but also could help people that did not have the means. I think that when you get into film, the hardest thing, like I got my film degree back in 2005, and I wouldn't pick up a camera for 10 years because it's, it's so expensive. Yeah, You know, it's, it's so expensive. Today, with your cell phone, I mean, Lady Gaga proved this not too long ago. I mean, she had about $400,000 in lighting equipment, but she did film it on an iPhone, right? Yeah. So you have the ability to do it. But at the end of the day, like, we want to be there not only as a support, but create films that we want to do, not what Hollywood's telling us to do. I think that if you look at the Academy Awards the last couple of years, the ratings have been the lowest and the indie films have been winning. And that's the trajectory that Shift wants to be a part of. We want to be a part of A24. We want to be a part of those cinematic places where we're distributing in movie theaters, but that might go the way of the Dodo with this COVID thing. So, you know, being able to, uh, you know what I'm saying? I mean, like, how, how are we going to... Yeah. It well, is. it's weird. Like, I don't know. Should we should we look at it if you're coming from this gorilla background with these technical capabilities? As I sit here in a podcast studio with streaming and things like that. See, I'm I'm playing. This is all very meta. Uh, I, I'm uh, I sit here and we're we're busy right now. And we've talked about this, but um, I mean, <laughs> it's so weird because are we gonna see some of these giant companies recording artists uh, representation? Um, sport sports events people are they essentially going to dip low 
uh, I say low on their view to conferencing, to streaming, to things like that. So I don't know, are you in a better position maybe than you were? And I'm saying this rhetorically, uh, could you end up at the end of this in a better position because you are used to kind of going it alone and you have the creativity uh, to kind of scrounge and to get out there and scrap and fight a little bit uh, rather than count on giant crowds or, or huge turnouts at theaters. I wonder for people like you, and I could be way off, um, if some of the skills you've developed would uh, potentially set you up better at the end of this. I mean, it's a good question. I, I think that uh, it's hard to answer. It's, it's, it's kind of answered in parts. Sure. A, I'm a movie theater lover. I, I think going Same. to the cinema is my favorite memories with my dad, right? So um, he was a huge Harrison Ford fan. So not seeing, seeing Star Wars and Lost Ark and because I'm 77, y'all, I'm near the bandit. Um, but so, you know, I movie theater for me is something that like to see your film on the big screen, I don't think that is ever going to go away. It, it is the... It is the dream of every cinematographer, director, lighter, anybody that wants to work in the film industry. Today, we're faced with a very different challenge and a difficult challenge. And you can see that from the delays in film. You can see that when Extraction, uh, the, the new film with Helmsworth, uh, that went to Netflix, which is a good film. It's a very action-packed film. There's a good storyline there. Um, when you see stuff like The Invisible Man that didn't get the play it should have gotten, when you see films that, like, the Quiet Place Part Two. Okay, he put that off now till next year probably. Um, they they base their revenue streams on Blockbuster. For the independent market, we've never had the aspirations to be in a in a theater unless we four walled it, right? Sure. So we were coming out of pocket regardless. Does it give us a unique opportunity? I think that Netflix is going to get old. I think Hulu is going to get old for people when you're sitting at home. 24 hours a day and you're going through everything. I think now is the time to talk to distributors and say, hey, I've got a documentary, I've got a film. I mean, if you look at the the success of, um, uh, what is it, the, the, uh, the Ghost Who Walks, it's a St. Louis film. Um, he got on Netflix. I don't know the ramifications, I don't know who he is, but I'm very proud of him because he's a St. Louis filmmaker. And I, I thought the film was, it was very indie. It was there was some great acting in it. There's some great scenes in it, and Netflix put it out there. So I think this is now more. We have set ourselves up to do this anyway. But Netflix is like a Tinder date. But it's like you, you know you swipe left on all these different people because you think you don't have a chance with them. And it's kind of like that ten that comes up in the thing, and you're like, well, I'm gonna go ahead and swipe right, and maybe because that's what it always like, feels knows? like to me. Today, I think. You know, maybe the tens are looking at fives and being like, hey, let's, let's hey, try these guys out. Kind of lonely. I watched yeah. this happen too, um, just, and this kind of ties into your, to the other part of, um, of the vehicle fulfillment that you aspire to do for films or that you have done. Um, I've had, and this is so funny cause I feel like it's come up over the last four years plus, but we've been treated really well by, uh, Adam Carolla, a uh, big podcaster, race car driver, professional really. Great man. Yeah, great he's man. great. He, and I've been to his studio, We we and he's got those Paul Newman cars right there behind this amazing podcast studio. So it's wild. I guess my point is there's two things. First one would be he's now cranking out documentaries left and right. Uh, Uppity is on Netflix right now. I highly recommend that. He made a Ford versus Ferrari uh, uh, 
documentary before the feature film came out. I, it was uh, a great documentary. Yeah, too. It, I'm glad it, you it saw it. So much yeah. more information. For sure. And it, it's so funny how that happens. Point being, they wouldn't take his stuff for like the first three or four ones he did. And then all of a sudden they're like, okay. And, and you can debate on why that is. I think they do that to a lot of people. It wouldn't necessarily be because of how he comes off politically. Um, but at the same time, uh, that has to be weird to see that if from somebody in your position like this guy took that long to get in but then also it's uh more interesting to me and i'm sure to you with your love of cars and that particular uh line of work you're wanting to be in what uh i guess what's the most unique vehicle that you are either aspiring to get a hold of or that you may already have that uh that you want to be holding on to that you want some production you want brad pitt's production company to be like hey I need this and you're the guy who's got it. Do you have one in particular you already have or is there one that you've got your eye on? I have my dream car and uh, you know, he's on, he's right now, we're in the process of doing, we're, we just redid all the uh, suspension in it. We ripped out all the suspension, redid all the brakes. I have a 1969 Chevelle Supersport. Wow. Um, I love the 72, but for some reason that 69 was this, it's a lot for me. It's a lot. Of, it's a lot of reasons why I like the '69. Both my my seat. I have a C10 Chevy truck too. That's a 1969, and the reason why is because I do true crime podcasts. And if you look at 1969, this is the year of serial killers. This is the year where everything tries to starts to explode. And so to have kind of some kind of that reference of the year that it is. First of all, the '60s hands down. And my dad will argue with me, but from '60 to '69 is some of the best music to come out of America and England you sure. have. And so to have these cars and to have that music and it, it's just something to it. So the 69 Chevelle is something. My dream car, however, is a GTO. I, I really, really, I looked at one yesterday. It was a 66. Um, they, you know, these people park them in a, in a, in a barn and they leave them there because they, it threw a rod. And I never right. understood that. And I'm like, you have to, the engine is the easiest part to fix. It is so easy to fix an engine. It's the bodywork that destroys you. Yeah. It's just like you're gonna put thirty grand in putting in new floors and putting in new sheet metal and and so for me, like when I look at um, if you look at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm -hmm. there's a Le Mans, there's a yellow canary Le Mans in that, and it yeah. is phenomenally beautiful. <laughs> um, and it's something that like I aspire to do. I mean, we missed the Forest Park because we're in St. Louis, the Forest Park Car Show, which me and my best friend, Jeremy King, who's actually the partner in my company. Sure. So that's that guy that basically is like, hey, let's do this, we can do this. And he's a go-getter and he's an incredible mechanic, like savant. Like he looks at stuff, he's like, yeah, I think that's the carburetor. Mm, that's probably the starter. And it is. And so working with him on the cars, like all our cars are actually out in Illinois where he lives and they're all in his garage. So we can just work on them on the weekends. And it's been a good time right now that we can get some stuff. We actually sitting in my room right now is a sniper EFI kit. So we're making the Chevelle a pro touring vehicle so we can take it across country with our other podcast, Graveyard Shift, where we do paranormal pit stops, but we want to do it in our Chevelle. So we have this whole thing, this dream, and I know that's kind of long-winded, but I can get no. going on cars forever. <laughs> I, I, I assume so, and especially, too, whenever you are involved at the granular level that you are, yeah, you're going to have a lot to say about it because you care about it, right? right. Uh, but I think film film does that. Sometimes when you look at when you look at film and you see, man, what car is that, you know? Mm -hmm. And it, it, like the AMC that he drives in, in um, what is it, uh, Annabelle's Homecoming, 
right? They pull up in this this little AMC, and it's like, oh my god, look at that car! Like nobody wants that car. No wonder why it's haunted. <laughs> it's it's isn't that so wild? Like the things that you notice. I you mentioned Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which we could go several directions on with that, but just a quick note. Um, that was one thing as I was like looking around that I was just like picturing like how I get it. He's Quentin Tarantino, but man, to shut down uh, a freeway in, in Los Angeles and populate it with the right amount. Cause I was looking real hard for like a 2000s model, something car to pop up yep. that they forgot. And boy, did they nail it now you could, I could be being uh, naive and there could be some heavy editing involved in that, but give them the props. They covered the bases. So that was just something I definitely noticed. And then with that, obviously the, uh, the Charles Manson and the Manson oh. family side of everything. And I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this and I'll have, I'm going to, I'll have to Google this, but there's a book out and I listen to Joe Rogan's podcast. Do you, there's a, absolutely love. Okay. Joe. Have you have you heard the guy who spent 20 years diving in to the Manson family murders and how deep this goes and he has irrefutable evidence? Yeah. It's, there's 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 a lot to that story and and I I'm, I'm yeah. glad that he's done that because yeah. It comes off as something that was a setup from the get. Like, who was really the mastermind there? Who was really what was really going on? Did 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 Manson belong behind bars that long right. um did he propagate this this character that who he was just because of protection inside of prison i mean yeah. you have to understand that like his craziness i don't know i mean i haven't dove too much into it i've i've caught it a couple times just because of the lost boys podcast we've been getting into like zodiac killer and stuff like that but sure the man manson is a fascinating character in history john wayne gacy's a fascinating character in history and it's disgusting it's salacious what happened at the mm -hmm. end of the day we're drawn to it because we want closure for victims right. while simultaneously trying to understand why they did what they did and i i'm against the capital punishment in serial killer cases just because we need to learn from these people and i get a lot of flack for that but i just don't believe in capital punishment i just it doesn't make any sense to me like we can learn from these people so you know we understand why they did what they did what the environment was i mean how you know are they a victim and, and i know that sounds totally crazy but it. to some degree was john wayne gacy was charles manson a victim i mean look at charles manson in his life it's terrible like as a child like, does anybody, do we have somebody, do we have empathy? Of course not. You know, we look at, you know, um, what happened and what the fallout was there and, and killing people. And we get that. But prior to that, if we can just go back and, and look at somebody's life and it's like, wow, man, as a kid, they're abused. They're sexually molested. They're, you're beaten by their father. They have no father. Their mother's a prostitute. I mean, like, you know, you're a product of your environment and we're just not doing our due diligence from, from, from a science standpoint or from a psychology standpoint to understand like why these things happen, why they transpired the way they did, you know? If you don't want to put this empathy in, just put in the prevention. <laughs> just say, we don't want this yeah. to happen again. That's why we're doing this. So, right. uh, Well, we do the same thing with mental illness, man. Like yeah. we just totally, and, and that's the other thing I, I should say, Jeremy King and myself who own Shift, the thing that we try to do is every one of our films focuses on mental illness. It, there's a mental illness thing. And it, it, the best way to do that is to stream it through film people have to understand that it that it is a real disease that that these people are sick like and they do things and they don't know why they do things and and so until we have a better handle on the mental diseases and the mental deficiencies then we need to do our part you know to really start doing something you know stop with the black rifle stuff why did they shoot them 
like what what happened like why 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 are we losing our children to this why are we losing people to mental illness and we're not doing anything about it you know a bullet's not going to stop right so it's it's very strange uh i am curious let's uh let's dive into the podcast man you're uh, you stay super busy and uh, a birdie has told me that you're trying to to elevate uh, some of the the content that you're you're pushing through and you're covering on Lost Boys of uh, of Hannibal podcast, but um, you've got several. Uh, throw out all the podcasts you're doing, and then you pick the path we go down because you've got a lot going on, man. And I find it to all be pretty interesting. Uh, I do, I I am curious as well. Um, maybe what originally took you down that path. Um, if you can even pinpoint that hmm. as far as, as as far as being involved in those topics i i honestly i talk to so many comics and i guess people that i find interesting i don't know I, i'm not really sure why i think i think it's it's fun like that's a that's my lame obtuse answer but i don't know maybe you've got something a little more succinct well i mean it, it's it's strange i mean i've actually analyzed a lot i analyze why what what took us down the path of the Lost Boys of Hannibal, to be clear before I go on a Frankie rant here, but Jeremy King was friends. We're ghost hunters. This is one okay. of the things that we do. We love it. I don't necessarily believe in ghosts. I think people ascend or trans, trans, transition. But the reason why I'm into it is because it's a puzzle and I want to fix it. If it's, if it's a trash panda in the attic, then I want to pull them out and say, here's your ghost. Um, and so Chris Ketters is one of these people that Jeremy had ghost hunted with. And, and he initially called me and said, hey, you got to talk to Chris. He's got a really interesting story in Hannibal, Missouri. I said, man, I don't really want to do anything paranormal because you really placate to one audience and you lose credibility as a documentary filmmaker. You just do. It, it, yeah. it comes hand in hand. It's a pseudoscience. And it's a pseudoscience because of people like ba uh, Bagans. You know, Zach Bagans makes it a pseudoscience. He's, he's, he's a... He's a resounding idiot. Like when it comes to things like that, the guy gets possessed by a pencil. Like no matter what it is, he's got the TV cocaine. show, right? Right, right. Yeah, he has a go, uh, yeah, ghost, ghost, ghost hunter. Okay, you know, ghost. Like you yeah. tell him this is haunted, and the coke can haunts him, and he's like, he, you know, every every episode he gets possessed. Maybe it's a mental condition. I don't know. Right. But Chris was like, this is not paranormal at all. This is something that's true crime. So you have. He starts telling me, I said, well, tell him to give me a call. We're in the middle of the Limp documentary. We're in the middle of post-production with Limp. We, we just pretty much figured out that Elsa's suicide might have not been a suicide. So we're kind of heavy on that. And all of a sudden, Chris calls me in July and is like, uh, I have this story. And I was like, you got five minutes to pitch me to see if I'll produce it. And we ended up staying on the phone for like three hours. And there you go. it involved John <laughs> Wayne Gacy. <laughs> and, well, it's a puzzle, man. I think it's yeah. the same thing when you, you know, people people are serial daters and they're serial relationship people. There, there are things and it's always about the same thing, whether it's true crime, a relationship or figuring out somebody, or you're the savior in a relationship, you're a hero in a relationship. It's the same thing. You're trying to, trying to fix something. You're trying to find this puzzle, this pattern that just makes sense. And when you try to do that with the lost boys of Hannibal, it is the most bizarre case because here you have an 11 year old, a 13 year old and a 14 year old that go on a cave adventure that need to be at the bus stop at 5:45 PM for a church assembly. They were told not to go in the caves, not today, because they got in trouble a couple of days before. So Billy and Joey, who are the Hogue brothers, so 11 and 13, and Craig Dow, the oldest, 14, who doesn't normally cave. He's more of a biker. 
So we've heard from people in town that yes, they were all friends. They weren't the closest of friends, but Joey and Billy had happened upon something on Monday. What that is, we do not know. That's one of the mysteries we're trying to figure out mm -hmm. because we know these kids grew up about a five minute walk from Murphy's cave. So yeah. they had been in the cave a thousand times. So it wasn't anything new. He had discovered something different and interesting and it made his adventure and exploratory skills go through the roof where he wanted to invite people to show them what they found so i think craig kind of got involved in that and you know they go searching they get off the bus um their last scene on top of lover's leap which is not even near a cave system uh there, there is a cave system there but it, it's 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 you know you'd have to give a, about a 10 to 15 minute walk to get mm -hmm. to the road cut cave that's the last time they're seen at 5.15 p.m. And we haven't seen them for 53 years. Now, the caving exploration, uh, William Karras comes in from D.C., flies in within 24 hours. Within 48 hours, they have over 150 cavers coming from all over to explore these caves. They have 150 National Guardsmen doing ground searches. They have the police department, the rescue team, everything. These kids went missing i mean you want to talk about like ufo abduction like missing in plain sight like mm -hmm. we don't know what happened they just disappeared and the 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 search goes on for over a month they spend over a million dollars in 1967 so this happened right. on may 10th 1967. so it's the only it's the only caving story where victims went missing and were never found in the history of cave they're the only three that went missing that's yeah and that's then, yeah, yeah. Those and then are. things get really strange because we realize Chris just found this out on the second season recently, and I think it's huge news. They're never listed as missing children. They're not. They're not on any bank. They're not on any registry. For the last 53 years, these kids are lost in the caves was the conclusion. So they've never been on any kind of list. So if bodies were discovered, some John Doe's were discovered in Arkansas and California, they don't come up on the registry. So for the last 53 years, it's possible that we have some John Doe's that people found, but we don't know who they are. That and so it's sense. just starting to open up this craziness of John Wayne Gacy and his involvement because 1967, he's living in Waterloo, Indiana, which is about a two and a half, three hour jaunt to Hannibal. Um, there's this crazy book. Um, there's a great book, actually. It's called The Lost Boys of Hannibal, right? Mm -hmm. And we didn't base our podcast off this. We based our podcast off the the Karis reports that book gives you a good idea of what happened in 1967 the same author puts out another book called souls speak where he brings in three mediums and you've already lost me but anyway he brings in three mediums and all three mediums come into the conclusion that john wayne gacy did abduct three kids rape and murder them and bury them at the cement plant property and that mm. is what that that whole book kind of and so from there it was just like all right we have to take a deep dive in the into john wayne gacy we went from john wayne gacy being involved about 50 percent all the way down to five percent after we did our research there's no way john wayne gacy did anything or had any in involvement in the lost boys it's something more malicious we looked at charles ray hatcher right now this is somebody that's become a prime suspect we know that he's missing from 1965 to 1967 he's killed over 18 boys it's right in his ballpark so it's and he was in the midwest he's from st joseph missouri i mean there's things that man we even covered bordella man the butcher from kansas city man it's a crazy podcast that really gives you in-depth because i think it's malicious i think that if you go by occam's razor it's least amount of assumptions well least amount of assumption tells me it's a missing boys case because the last time they're seen is not in a cave it's on top of lover's leap why did we never look at this 
like an abduction. And just because says, the cave is convenient, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's disturbing, and that's somebody's uh, kids and family and all that stuff. So uh, I wonder too, and we're seeing it with. Um, <laughs> I've interviewed, uh, I, have, I don't know if you know who these people are, but just to, to paint a picture, um, I interviewed Lisa Guerrero. She is a reporter for Inside Edition. She, um, you probably remember, she was in Playboy, I think, in the 90s, but she's an investigative reporter. That, uh, that clip of the crazy preacher, Kenneth uh, Fall, yeah. Kenneth, yeah. you know who I'm talking about, the demons and all that. She's the one who confronted him uh, about the uh, demons and tubes thing. Either way. 10 plus years ago, she did an expose on Joe, whatever his last name was at the time, uh, Tiger King guy. And she was like, it was horrific. It was terrible. And this is inside edition. And this is a, this is a big deal. She's, you know, does these huge interviews. So, and then flash forward to now you have this weird, crazy thing where a pandemic happens and this wild ass documentary happens. Maybe some things get unturned. Um, and maybe some, further prosecution happens because of just the scope that's put on it, right? Because everyone's sure. eyes are on it. Sure. Um, do you feel like if you end up maybe getting this to a higher platform in Netflix or something, um, whatever the equivalent is to Netflix by the time you're ready for it, would you take this to a, a bigger platform as a documentary style series? And would you hope, um, is this just something to make people aware of, to enter, not entertain people, inform people? Or is this something where you're hoping that like more eyes on this will shed some light and will bring a conclusion to the stories that you're covering? It's a, once again, it, it's a, it's a rounded question because there's a lot of decision making there. This year we were supposed to start filming the documentary Lost Boys of Hannibal. We knew that after the first season, this was going to be slated as a, as a film and it had to be slated as an episodic. It has to go eight episodes because there's so much to it. I mean, you talk about a town like Hannibal, Missouri, which is this cool little kitschy town, this river town full of great people, great businesses. They all help each other. There's not a lot of bad that happens in Hannibal. We all have our underlings. We all have our problems with drugs and crime and stuff. But when you look at Hannibal as a whole, Hannibal in and of itself is an episode. It's Mark Twain's hometown. It has a lot of history. There's a lot of things and ruthlessness that had happened in the 1800s. And so these kids growing up in Mark Twain's hometown, man, every kid born in Hannibal, Missouri or Louisiana or Quincy is a natural born explorer. Yeah. And so it really needs to tell that tale. And I do believe that when you talk about Tiger King and stuff like that, you know, is there a murder that went unnoticed with, you know, Carol Baskins? I mean, when I was a kid, I grew up in Florida. I was living in Florida for 34 years in Miami, Florida. When I was a kid, I remember seeing those billboards for Don. Everybody knew Don. Um, so, you know, does does spotlighting a documentary in a sense, aside from memes and jokes, does it get to the very heart? I mean, somebody lost their life. I mean, Don lost his life. Somebody needs to placate to the victim now. Somebody needs to do the documentary about the victim. Uh, I think the documentary in and of itself, uh, the, the, I know that the crew, and I've heard this through the grapevine, that the crew that did Tiger King didn't make a whole bunch of money from Netflix. I think they, they got... I don't think Netflix thought it was going to be what it was. And this happens a lot in film. So you have to be careful with that angle too. That guy uh, owns Hannibal, hotels, right? Um, yeah. In New York. Yeah. I'd heard a few things. I would spoke to people. Yeah. It, it's the world gets small really fast, but yeah, continue. Sorry. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, no, no. With Lost Boys of Hannibal, I think you, you look at it from the standpoint of it's not just those three kids, okay? It's, it's every missing kid. This mm-hmm. should never happen. And I think that when you bring closure to one case, you know, there's 120,000 cold cases in America. One percent are ever solved. Um, you look at the statistics and you're just like, you, you look at these kids' faces and they, they are just beautiful boys. They're just beautiful kids. Like these are kids that were going to be astronauts, that were going to be doctors, that were going to be explorers, that were going to be these things. And their life is cut too short. And so this documentary focuses not only on what happened to Billy, Joey and Craig, but who they were as people. And I think we're just not doing that. I think Netflix makes criminals heroes. Like Joe, can, you know, this Tiger King guy, it's funny. Don't get me wrong. I do an amazing impression of him and I've had fun with it. But <laughs> at the end of the day, like we glorify villains, we glorify it. And, and we don't talk about Don. We, when you look at uh, yeah. making of a murderer, we think Avery is innocent. How is right. this guy innocent? Yeah. Like everybody's against the, poli- the police department. Everybody's against the detectives. No one's talked to the victim's family. There's not one episode on them. What yeah. about the girl that lost her life? That's what, uh, back to the Tiger King guy, that's what Lisa was saying. She's like, it's disgusting. She's like, I was I was in Oklahoma at this place. She was like, they didn't show shit. She was like, she was yeah. like, I saw this and he was, he's a terrible person is how she yeah. looked at he's it. She's like, you're fetishizing him. Yeah. And, and Doc Entil is the same way. They're trash I humans, thought man. that too. I mean, that yeah. guy, uh, this will be the fifth episode. I've brought this up just because I've been lucky to talk to people that get to do fun stuff. You do fun stuff. Uh, as a filmmaker, uh, I I did the, uh, you know, the Leo meme from, uh, <laughs> from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that's going around where he's like pointing at the TV. I did that like times 10 out of frustration for the crew. Um, <laughs> whenever that Doc Antle bastard, that cocky bastard, yeah. told them to set up their shot over to the left, he's like, you'll oh. want to set that up. I was like, oh my gosh, the people I know would be, they'd be like, we're leaving. You don't, yeah, you, yeah we, I mean, we need you, but you don't need to tell us. Oh, yeah. I just, I bet that made you cringe. It does. I think that when you look at it too, like, I mean, I think I, nothing against the film. I think the film is shot great. I think it's hilarious. I love that they filmed the one guy in a bathtub. I mean, there are things that they did that just made fun of these people. And, you know, look at Carol Baskin has, I think, four different lawsuits against the, the film company and Netflix. I mean, Oof. she's firing on all cylinders right now. So it's, I mean, it was a, it was an interesting, like, let's give them their due. It was an interesting slice of pop culture that, is uh i don't ever use this word but it's problematic it's got its problems behind it you know there are issues that are attached to it and it's not without flaw obviously but yeah it it falls back to malcolm gladwell too in his book the tipping point the the movie falls right on a pandemic so what are you doing you're you're at home (laughs) and it's like man had it been any other documentary man like wow it's right uh (laughs) there's several you could think of that'd be like Man, what if this hit then and then that? Yeah, so it's it's interesting to watch how that plays out. I guess with all the podcasts that you do and the projects mm-hmm. that you work on, um, how are you? I guess adapting in regards to uh, production schedules, and are you still able to put everything out regularly uh, currently? And it, remind everybody all the uh, all the shows that you're doing. There's more than one. Sure. Yeah. So we have Lost Boys of Hannibal, uh, which is on schedule. It's 
it's on schedule. Uh, it is every two weeks on Mondays. Uh, we do live events on Facebook, which garner anywhere from 30 to 50 people tune in for those. And then That's the awesome. next couple of days, they'll watch it. Um, but we do have a great following. We're, we're approaching 25,000 downloads on only 17 episodes. That's so great. It's, it's, it's pretty viral. It's pretty crazy. Um, it's local. I mean, we have, but every state has listened to us. We have a really cool analytics board that we look at. Um, Missouri, Illinois, California. Uh, Texas is basically our top four states that love this uh, podcast. And we're, we're trying to grow the market. We're trying to grow it too. We don't have any sponsors yet. It's something that we're looking into, but we're still trying to grow the brand a little bit. Yeah. Then there's Graveyard Shift. Graveyard Shift is a paranormal show where you have two conservatives from the mid, from living in the Midwest that basically go off on Trump tangents, political tangents. Um, the, it's a curse. It's a curseful show. It, it's, it's me, another side of me going on rants about just arguing with people that believe in demons in their attic it's 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 jeremy who is a believer and it's me and him and it's just really funny there's burps there's farts it's a it's a terrible type of family guy atmosphere on that show sure um, it, it's it's terrible but the, it has a following it's a cult following people love the conservative ghost hunters which most ghost hunters are conservative for some strange reason maybe because we get to go in our trucks and have a meeting with ourselves you know? i guess yeah that that's an interesting that's an interesting yeah. point hmm. i would not have yeah, guessed so. that i don't know why i wouldn't have guessed that but that just wouldn't have been my first guess i guess yeah, it's strange and then you have yeah. the spiritual and you have the people that we argue with so that's graveyard shift uh, you'll know that one because i i'm a designer that's how i make all my money to fund all this stuff so uh, every different logo for everything i design all my posters everything like that and so this one has a really cool logo it's just a hand on a gravestone it's yellow and black and it says graveyard shift lost boys of hannibal is a completely different it's there's no cursing it's not explicit just because we want to garner a bigger larger audience and we want kids to get involved we want right. kids to understand the you know and people are like well i don't understand why you would want kids to listen to this i want kids to listen to this because they get street smarts you don't go near people you don't know like i have a daughter if my daughter doesn't want to hug somebody, I don't make her hug somebody. Yeah. That's innate. There's something telling that kid that, listen, I don't feel safe. So, you know, it's stuff like that. So that is opened up to the market. I mean, anybody can listen to Lost Boys to Hannibal. There's some chilling stuff. The last episode we did is is very gruesome. There's there's a lot. We have a forensic psychologist coming on for our next episode, which is going to talk about this guy interviews murderers and, and child molesters for, for the for attorneys. So he's going to be on the show in a couple of weeks. We're excited to have him. And then we have the Lemp documentary, of course, Lemp's Last Right, which is kind of our little bit of our like hometown fame. I don't like, I'm I, when you meet me, you would think that I'm very egotistical and boastful, but I'm really not. I'm kind of modest and I need to be better at like self-promoting myself it's a weird thing like because you don't know who's kind of... not listening you don't know who doesn't know what you're talking about and then you right. see someone you see someone do it poorly and then you're like i don't want to be that person like that yeah. Ooh, but no I, I hear you man but brag all you want it's cool to hear about yeah well lem's last right was what started shift films it was the beginning of it and in the midst of that we would meet people that would be integral in our life uh, we have Jace, uh, Jeremy David King, Ryan Foise, um, all these people have touched it, Leo B. Ramsey, all these people that touched it. And while we're doing this documentary, we're putting out independent films, these little short films. Cringe is our independent film we released on January 11th of 2020. It is doing incredible in the short film market. We have over 25 awards now. We have best congratulations. Twice. Yeah. Yeah. So Cringe is unfortunately not available to the public right now because it's in the festival circuit and we can be disqualified. But if they email me, I can show them a screener. Got um, it. 
so if they did want to watch it but it's a it's a great tarantino style film it's called cringe um it was written uh by our good my late friend jason uh, clayfish he uh decided to end his own life a couple years ago and i didn't want people to remember him for his death i wanted people to remember how he lived and his scripts are incredible and so we were able to put this film together for his family and it's just done so well. And we had a little tiny premiere at Actors Studio in Central West End, and it was a sold out crowd and people just got behind cringe in the film. It was produced by, you know, one of my the guys I consult with, Scott Leindecker, who owns No Inc. He loved Jason. He worked, Jason worked for him. So it was this great film to see Jason's life kind of come to this culmination of like respect in the field yeah. of, of screenwriting. With Lemp's Last Rite, it has been a detour of six years of my life and now we're actually announcing first on your show that we're putting the premiere off till october 23rd because we are going for netflix we are re-editing the entire thing it's going to be longer it's going to be more intrusive it focuses on the victim and we want to get inside of netflix's face so this weekend i have one of my best friends in the world lillian mcleod who has actually played Elsa in the film originally, and then she then went back into writing. So she's writing a couple films for Schiff right now. One's called Puldor. That's a um, experimental paranormal film that deals with mental illness and schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. uh, it's based on a book called The Ghost Garden. So me and Lily are writing that one right now. Uh, Madison Price, uh, who's a musician in St. Louis, has been my music director. Um, and she's an incredible musician, but she's also an incredible writer because, hey, a musician. She's writing a film called Limerence uh, right now with myself. So we have those two indie uh, feature films that are coming out in the next couple of years. We're thinking both will release around 2023. One's Paranormal. Limerence is about the other side of relationships. It, it's not the fun Notting Hill. It's not Love Actually. It's the people that just suffer with mm. relationships you love yeah. somebody and they just don't find a way to love you back it's it talks about the limerence as a as a section of people's lives that people have limerence and they don't even know they have it and it's this longing this one for somebody else's love and so the film is very very sad but at the same time it's it's a reality check and it talks about st louis and the influence st louis has on people's lives so i know that's kind of a lot but that's kind of that's what's in our great to hear about right now yeah, yeah and, the last and thing yeah, the last thing we're doing is called The Agitator. Uh, the Agitator is something that I've been filming by myself privately for a while. And this is basically, it's been hard for me to film because um, I do not identify as a white person uh, because I grew up in Miami. So I identify more as a Cuban American uh, that has Italian roots. And so I've always considered myself more Caribbean um, living where I live. So I don't identify with silver spoons and, and all the different stuff. So I just don't. So it's been hard for me to do this film because it's, it's, it's talking about police brutality um, to black people, especially in the heart of St. Louis. And nobody's doing this film, no one's talking about this. And so it's been a film that I've been slowly, gradually, and it, my voice is not in it. It's the voice of the community. And that's the tough part when you have, you know, a white person doing a black film. But I think it's still important to do because I don't see anybody else doing it. And so why not run with it? Why not help people, you know, do these things uh, to really promote that? And I'm not saying all cops are bad, right? But here's the difference between cops and, and, and black people that are getting killed in the streets. These bad cops aren't getting suspended, but the black children are getting expired. And so there needs to be a balance there. And so we need to figure out what that is. And maybe this documentary called The Agitator can do that. It's, it's a strange, strange perspective. And I, I guess it just, it's our roots of, of humans because I can think of, uh, I don't know, um, 
20 police officers for the city of St. Louis that I've come into contact with that great dudes, great women, awesome. great people, yeah. awesome people. And if you were to say like, Hey, I'm not really down with this horrific thing that you would never do, uh, that happened to a citizen that doesn't mean that you're trying to rip the guts out of the establishment, but unfortunately right. they feel that, that it has to be treated like that. And then you have people, I don't know. So I, I wish you luck with that. That's a, that's a hell of a, of a mountain to climb, but you're right. Yeah. It is important. And I think it's that, kid gloves uh, too, man. Cause we don't yeah. want to bash police at all. We have police no. in the film. We have sure. detectives in the film and they talk about it. They say that we hate it. You know, it's like, it's like, it's a same. One, one cop points out this. He says, it's not, it's not the black communities. It's like 1% of it. It's the same with the cops. It's 1% are just really yeah. shitty cops, you know, and they make it bad for everyone. Well, yeah, you know? these dudes and, and ladies, they, they want to walk by and nod their head at you and be like, okay, everybody's safe on this block. I did my thing. I move on to the next thing and continue to, you know, literally protect, serve and all that. They don't want to walk up after, you know, they had their night at home with their family. Maybe they had a normal thing happen. They get into a fight with their partner and then they're out on the job. And the first thing that happens is somebody spits at them and calls them an asshole. And it's like, whoa, man, because they're people too. But the, it, that's a really, really interesting ta uh, topic to, to tackle because you're right. You want to get to that the root of like why did that person want to spit at a at a police officer you know it, it's so yes uh that's a that's a big one so i hope that's uh that opens some people's eyes up and i hope it's a hit for you man that's that's good work um thank you so much yeah absolutely so before we get you out of here um i'm curious uh let's remind people how to subscribe all that good stuff and then the live events too give us one more uh, refresh on that on how people can jump in on that it's i mean it's paying some people's bills right now so hopefully that can uh help you guys as well what was that last part i'm sorry you broke up yeah, the li no that's cool the live events okay. that you're doing like let's get some people yeah. to that the live events we kind of host monthly on our facebook you can find us everywhere on our facebook it's uh, Hannibal's Lost Boys on Facebook or lostboysofhannibal.com, the website. Uh, we have shiftfilms.net. You can find a lot of our stuff there about Lem's Last Right. All the films I talked about um, is on that website as well. You can subscribe to the website to hear. We don't send out a lot of emails either. We send out like maybe one or two every sure. month because we don't like inundating people. Uh, I get emails every day from somebody and I just want to unsubscribe. <laughs> I feel and bad. Facebook, yeah. yeah. Facebook, I just, I will, we're, we're a type of company that, um, we, we do put our stripes out there. I mean, Shift Films is a, is a conservative-owned company. Uh, we're very socially liberal. Uh, most of us are libertarians. People should be aware of that when they listen to our shows, especially Graveyard Shift. Uh, we just put that out there because we don't want to surprise anybody. Uh, Shift Films in and of itself is not religious or political. It, it, it works with everyone. Sure. Um, but at the very root of it, we get slack like, hey, I saw your Facebook and you posted something about Trump. I hate you. And I'm like, you know what? I stopped posting stuff about Trump. Um, I don't do things political anymore on my Facebook. I'm trying not to, but you know, you got to call a spade a spade in some instances of it. You know, it's sure. like when you talk about Ad Corolla, when you talk about Joe Rogan gets canceled because he's not going to vote for Joe Biden. It, you know, we have this institute yeah. of, uh, of ignorance that's out there, and unfortunately, they're they're leading the pack. So. I just want to give people the knowledge and the know-how that like we have our own views we're not told by hollywood we're not told by any way how to think and part of being in shift is being liberal with our thoughts and if somebody wants to believe something we're going to support that person you know we have feminists on our team we have conservatives on our team we all get along because creativity at the very heart of shift is creating 
a collaborative effort to create stuff that moves people, that shifts them into a different direction. And that's what we want to do. And that's hopefully, you know, we're always looking at new writers. We're always looking at new editors to come on board. Plus you sound people like we love sound people. They can definitely send me an email and see we have some so many projects going on. We're going to need all these people and shift pays. We pay right away. We're not like any production house in town. When you are on my set, you will have a paycheck by the time you leave because we don't let people wait for money. We just don't. It's one of our principles. Uh, and you can ask anybody that's worked with us. Yep, shift pays. And they feed you. So <laughs> those are the two things that I would end with. <laughs> that's important, man. Well, yeah, Frankie, uh, it was a pleasure learning about all this stuff, man. Don't be a stranger. And I'm gotta, I got to check out all these uh, 20 projects that you're working on. And, yeah. uh, and that can do some with, uh, with some of my spare time. So, Frankie, again, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on We Are Live, man. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. Absolutely. Take care.